Hey, it's Anna Sale, and I want to thank you for listening to Death, Sex, and Money, where I explore the big questions and hard choices that are often left out of polite conversation. You can hear new episodes ad-free every week on Amazon Music, where you can find Death, Sex, and Money and all of your Slate favorites without the ads. I want to thank you for listening and for all your support as we at Death, Sex, and Money have made our move to Slate. Your stories, voice memos, and emails have meant so much to the team. As part of this transition, there's a new way to support our show financially at Slate, our new home. And you'll get something special in return. Subscribe to Slate Plus, and you'll not only support our work on death, sex, and money, you'll get access to new benefits, including listening to us and all of the other great shows Slate makes, like Slow Burn and Dakota Ring, without any ads or sponsor breaks. To subscribe, just click Try Free at the top of the Death, Sex, and Money show page on Apple Podcasts or visit slate.com slash DSM plus to get access wherever you listen. Thanks. Always, I had very clear that as I move in life, that at the same time, I will find the time to help others that maybe didn't buy the same lottery ticket I bought. This is Death, Sex, and Money. Do you have any idea how much money you're talking about? The show from WNYC about the things we think about a lot. Claire killed our neighbor's ferret. And need to talk about more. Well, I'm talking about more than sex here. No, you're not. I'm Anna Sale. Jose Andres is the chef credited with making tapas, famous on this side of the Atlantic. He moved to the U.S. from Spain and opened his first restaurant in Washington, D.C. by the time he was 23 years old. Today, Jose is just as well known for his humanitarian work as he is for his cooking. We are about, about to be serving our two million men. He set up emergency kitchens after the earthquake in Haiti and in Puerto Rico after Hurricane Maria, while still running his more than two dozen restaurants, including one that's been awarded two Michelin stars. There is where I want to be an artist, and there we feed the few. But at the end, feeding the many and feeding the few is not really so different one from each other. You have seen suffering very close up as part of your work with philanthropy and, and service. And then you are also in these very rarefied, elite environments in Washington and other places. Does it ever feel uncomfortable or jarring to come back home to Washington and, and to be surrounded by wealth? Hmm. Um, yeah. Um, you know, you don't need to go to an African country. Uh, in Washington, D.C., we have neighborhoods where people and children sometimes go hungry. And that's, that's America, 21st century. And you go to a place like Haiti, there you see what real need is, and especially after the earthquake that happened. So... Those are the moments that you say, 
I think the new American dream should be to try to work hard to provide for the others that you don't know. Success cannot only be about I, the person, but success should be always about we, the people, and moving everybody along. Uh, I have a hard time believing that I'm going to have successful restaurants and then two, three streets down the road, I have families that don't know how to feed their children. That's not success. Jose has thought a lot about the American dream. He became a U.S. citizen in 2013, 23 years after he immigrated from Spain. At the time, he exclaimed to the Washington Post, I feel like a virgin in a good way, and said that immigrants, given the right opportunity like I was given, we can have a positive impact in this amazing country. Jose grew up in a village in the hills outside of Barcelona. That's where he first learned to cook from his parents. Our kitchen was very small. I will say small for a family of five. Um, sorry, six. And I guess that we we will only be able to be like three people at the most in the kitchen. Oh, really? You could not fit? Well, we could be four, but not very small. But what I remember was all the smells and the aromas that always came out from that kitchen. You have three brothers? Three brothers. I am the big boy. The, the oldest. The first one. The oldest. Did you feel like when you were growing up, were you treated like the firstborn son? Was there a sort of uh, pressure on your shoulders? Yeah. I think always was pressure on my shoulders. Um, I think to this day, when you are the oldest, uh, you you carry certain responsibility with that. It's not written anywhere, uh, but I think everybody that is the first daughter or the first son, we, we, we kind of have to grow up quickly because because it's moments in life that uh, is necessary our leadership to protect our brothers or to push your mom and your dad to let you do the things they are trying to protect you from. Did you feel like you protected your little brothers? I I think when I was young, yes. Um, you know, my relationship with my mom uh, was not a easy one. She had uh, somehow hard uh, childhood on her own, so I always felt I was there uh, protecting my brothers when when somehow the the amazing love that my mother was able to give us somehow disappeared in certain moments. It, it sounds like you're sort of describing needing to sort of fill in some of the nurturing or the the tenderness, which is. Not how I usually think of older brothers protecting their little brothers. Yeah, and especially boys with boys, right? Yeah. At the end, every every boy, every man has a very feminine side. But what happens seems that society is trying to, you know, protect us from crying or from looking weak. But my mother, don't misunderstand me, was a very genuine person, hard worker, she gave her life uh, for us, working hard and always taking care of us. She kind of became a nurse, already pregnant of my fourth brother, 
because, you know, she saw the necessity of bringing an extra income home. And so my mom was really a, a woman of determination. But sometimes uh, life um, uh, make, made her, in certain moments in the person, she actually was not. And that's why maybe I had to have this kind of feeling like I had to be just a little bit like, like a mother in some, in some ways. When you think about your childhood, do you use the word, do you think of it as an abusive environment? Um, yeah, in, in relationship with my mom, probably. Um, but sometimes it's not physical uh, itself, but also can be, can be used verbally or, or certain actions. But um, I, I believe everybody should try always, in the moment you feel you are growing up, to try to put yourself in the shoes of the other person especially family, that is, the people we don't choose. Uh, we have a harder time understanding certain relationships with the people we don't choose. Seems sometimes we are much more permissive with the people we choose. Why? Because we chose them. Jose moved out of his family home when he was 15. He'd never been a great student, and his dad thought he should learn a trade. So he enrolled Jose in culinary school. At the beginning, I was coming from my little town into the heart of Barcelona. But this was almost like a one hour, one hour and a half uh, uh, trip every day, almost three hours. And I very quickly, I kind of managed to say, why well, I don't rent a little bed here near the school. And so I don't have to come back home. You see, to a degree, I was already trying to to move away from a place I love, but the place I had the sense I had somehow to remove myself from if I wanted to become the person I, I, I needed to become. Hmm. Did you live by yourself in a little room or did you live with other people? Uh, well, it was this kind of situation where it was a little apartment with little rooms and, and you had your tiny room with your bed and then a bathroom you share with others. But for me, it was just a place to go to sleep. My days will begin early in the school that will start at 8. But then by 10, I found this job in a nearby restaurant. So I will begin skipping classes without nobody knowing. Well, the teachers knew, but not my mother. I, I fail on cooking, on English. Obviously, <laughs> you can sense it why. And on accounting. <laughs> You failed um, at cooking also? I just that's the I, more surprising I feel like cooking <laughs> and a business which some people say I'm very good at. <laughs> and and at English too. So my goodness is very funny that I now people say how good a businessman I am. I cannot believe now I'm trying to express myself somehow in English and I cannot believe that people say I'm kind of actually a very good cook. Were you hanging out with like were your friends older co-workers and, and older people during that time? Yeah, and it's so funny you're asking me about this because I got this summer job in a little town in the Mediterranean, north of Barcelona, in the Catalonian region. I will go to work during summer, uh, three, four months. So 
I, you know, uh, I met this, um, this waitress that she was um, older than me, but she was working in a nearby discotheque. And, mm-hmm. and me, the only thing I did was giving her roses every day. And I will give her a rose, and I gave her a rose, and I was in love with her. But my friend, who was older and I guess uh, had more life experience than me, he was into other games. That is what young men and women do when they're young, and their bodies asking them for action and <laughs> procreation. And so he broke my heart because I was too naive and too young, and I was like, great. Why you didn't tell me before? Because I spent half of my salary buying roses to that woman. And I thought I was in love with her and she was in love with me. Me, I was used being the romantic one and you were the effective, let's not waste time type of guy. (laughs) Wait, I want to make sure I understand. So did your friend, your friend ended up with the woman who you were giving roses to? Yep. Uh huh. So I've not been a man of many women at all. I made a lot of friends, but me, I was always very, I don't know how to tell you, more interested in making friends than making, uh, finding lovers. And in life, this has served me well, quite frankly. Jose never finished school. He found work in restaurants instead. When he was still a teenager, he was hired by Ferran Adria, one of Spain's most famous chefs. Then Jose moved to the U.S. when he was 21 and worked in top kitchens in New York and California before landing in Washington. When I moved to D.C., I was 23. I was outside, uh, I was outside this restaurant in Annas Morgan, and I saw that woman from Spain, her name is Patricia, who few days before I saw dancing beautiful flamenco with her arms up in the air like she was a tree in a very windy, beautiful day. Hmm. And that moment, that second, I thought, well, this is the woman. I'm going to be keep sending flowers for the rest of my life. This I had very clear. On that, I had a very good day. And here, 25 years later, here we are. Did you send her flowers? Was that your first move? Oh, yeah, I did send her flowers very quickly. Coming up, Jose Andres talks about learning to be a father to his three daughters. So I don't know before Google how dads did it. Wait, what, what have you Googled? What have you Googled about parenting? How to be a father. Hey, it's Katie, one of the producers here at the show. And a little bit of business for you students and recent grads in our audience. We're looking for our next intern. Come spend the summer here in New York and help us make death, sex, and money. We've got a lot of big plans for after Anna gets back from parental leave, and we need all hands on deck to make them happen. We especially want to encourage you to apply if you think the job isn't for you. If you're an older student who's trying to make a career switch, or if you're from a background that's underrepresented in the media industry, throw your hat in the ring. The deadline is March 21st. You can also find a link to the application in the description of this episode or on our Facebook page. And speaking of jobs, we're still hearing from a lot of you about what happens when you lose one. We recently got an email from a listener named Stephanie. But it wasn't about her layoff. It was about her dad's. He's been out of work for two years. At first, my dad was hopeful to quickly get a new job. But as time passes, I can tell that he is losing hope. 
Stephanie said the stress of her dad's layoff has been extra hard because it happened right as she was graduating from college. My dad and I would commiserate about applying for jobs, preparing for interviews, and negotiating salary. My lack of experience was what I was fighting, yet his overqualified resume was his biggest limiting factor. And on the next episode... Hey, Dad. Hi, Peanut. They talk about all of that together. I would be lying if I said I didn't feel some sort of guilt. Well, you shouldn't feel guilty because you need to start your life and have your life be the best it can be. This episode is brought to you by Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he will chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. This is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. I'm Anna Sale. In 2004, after a decade of running successful restaurants in D.C., Jose Andres opened a restaurant across the Potomac in Crystal City, Virginia. He was in his mid-30s, married, a young father, and for the first time, he had a restaurant that was not doing well at all. And this is technically the first restaurant that really I put a big chunk of money, of my own money. Your own money. And we had a lot of problems and the lawyers and our financial people very much at one moment they were saying well we let's do chapter 11 let's protect the business and yourselves i mean thinking about the timing of that like you you had young daughters um and your own money invested uh, and friends friends that invested in the restaurants so how long did the period of of uncertainty of not knowing quite if you were going to get out from under the debt, how long did that last? <laughs> I think it lasted forever because, you know, um, at the end you can say they're investors, but they're not investors. They're your friends and they believe in you. Uh, when you go bed and you are thinking like, forget about me, but man, you care about them and it's not a lot you can do. You are you are kind of in this moment of of almost trauma of saying I'm letting my friends down and then this cannot happen. I'm gonna work hard to make sure that one day my friends get their money back and their investment back. And I think that was a moment that I'm very proud that my partners and I we we kind of said, you know what, we, we can save this. We kept Haleo, we refinanced the debt. We refinance the the lease, and twelve plus years later, Haleo in Crystal City, Virginia is doing very well. We didn't have to fire anybody, and quite frankly, I can tell you many many moments that I was very happy because real success. But I was so happy that we were able to fight that moment. We had a lot of enthusiasm 
and a lot of belief that we should try to pay the debt we had. And to this day, this is one of the happiest accomplishments in my life. How did you try to teach your daughters about what success is or what hard work is, um, kind of knowing that they were growing up in more comfort than you did? Well, I mean, and I, I don't know, but don't you realize sometimes that you go through life and almost nothing comes with instructions? Uh-huh. <laughs> I have a it's two-year-old. Almost, I definitely feel that, yes. <laughs> it's almost like, like I remember being there um, with my wife at Sibley Hospital, having our first daughter, Carlota. And and I was there uh, just waiting and, and, and helping her push and... And, and I'm waiting for this amazing moment, seeing my daughter coming out. And I think it's one of the first time I realized I barely learned how to be a grown-up. I barely learned how to be a husband. Uh, and now I have to learn how to be a dad. And I think men somehow, I don't know, is because we've been taught uh, or because we don't know where to look for the information Maybe I have a feeling we have a harder time understanding what a dad should do. And I've always felt kind of uh, uh, somehow a failure because I have initiative for a lot of things. And I have initiative to try to be a father, but I fell miserably compared to the nurturing that my wife has been able to do. I felt sometimes it was like a puppet where my wife will have to tell me on the ear, uh, you should talk to your daughter about this or that because she would love to have a conversation with you about it. But if I didn't have that beautiful voice of my wife on my left and right ear guiding me, uh, I don't think I will claim I've been a, a successful dad. She told you when to, you needed to step in. Often. Not how being a father in the sense of changing diapers. I was very good at changing diapers. That's technicalities I don't mind and I was good at it and I was proud of it but how to be a dad in the in the soul nurturing way in the in the knowing when to say something knowing when to smile knowing when to put maybe a, a face of, uh, of, of of seriousness but you know me having my wife obviously n- me next to her uh, always gave me a lot of comfort. Hmm. Not like saying, that's your problem, but watching her about learning from her. When I think of what it is to be in a kitchen and part of a restaurant team, what, what your particular task is is very clear. It's a very concrete task, how you can achieve the goal. And parenting is not like that. You never know... What's the meaning of success? They grow up, and one moment you are not the center of their universe anymore. Now we have a 19-year-old, a 17-year-old, where before everything was, let's do this and this and that with daddy and mommy. And now I feel like I'm competing. And I'm competing with friends, and I'm competing with uh, other dads that takes them to, with their friends to... 
a hockey game, and I don't even know the rules of hockey. <laughs> and and they have kind of a boyfriend, a boyfriend, and all of a sudden you feel like, you know, out of the game. And it's other people that become the center of the universe, and I'm going through that process right now. As Jose has been figuring out how to be a dad to his now almost adult daughters, he's also still wrestling with his relationship to the family he grew up in. His father is still living in Spain, but his mom died a few years ago. With my mom, uh, always the reason maybe I was away from home is because the, the relationship I had with her. But, you know, when she passed away, I I cry. Uh, and I cry with the regrets of of what you wish it happened. I wish I had a better relationship. I wish I saw her more often. I wish I I I had deeper conversations with her. But it didn't happen. And and the only thing forever for me, is why lately I tell more and more stories about her cooking or, mm. or the recipes I learned from her. Because at the end, you always want to concentrate in the very good moments. Uh, the bad things that happen in our lives probably in many ways are more important than the good ones. But those we need to learn how to live with them, but make sure that they don't become a weight, that they don't let you to move forward. And you should make sure that those negative moments become part of your essence to make sure that you don't repeat those same mistakes and and then put them away and forget about them and concentrate in the very good moments and, and the moments in life that you really enjoy fully. That's Chef Jose Andres. He has restaurants in Las Vegas, Los Angeles, Texas, Miami, Mexico City, and the Bahamas, and all over the D.C. area, but not in Washington's new Trump Hotel. He famously pulled out of a deal there in 2015 after Donald Trump called Mexicans rapist, which Jose said would make it too difficult to attract the right workers and customers to a Hispanic restaurant. He has a new book out about his service work in Puerto Rico. It's called We Fed an Island. Death, Sex, and Money is a listener-supported production of WNYC Studios in New York. I'm based at the studios of the investigative podcast Reveal in Emeryville, California. Our team includes Katie Bishop, Annabelle Bacon, Stephanie Joyce, Joanna Solitaroff, Emily Botin, and Andrew Dunn. The Reverend John Delore and Steve Lewis wrote our theme music. I'm on Twitter at Anna Sale. And you can find the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Death, Sex, Money. Jose Andres told me he went home to Spain for his mother's funeral, but usually he skips them. I simply don't like funerals. I have other ways to honor the people. Me, if one day I pass away, I, I hope we'll do a big party, because that's what I would like, a party to celebrate life, not to celebrate the death. I'm Anna Sale, and this is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. 